0: Addressing an issue with fear and trembling um, takes on a new meaning when it's issues like this, man. Wow. I want to start off by reading Colossians chapter 2. It says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ." Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God." Um, in the few minutes that I have, is a brief analysis and refutation of critical race theory. The tools we use to analyze ourselves and our culture matter. And I'm not talking about physical tools like a shovel or an axe or a hammer or a forklift or anything like that. I'm talking about ideological tools, tools where ideas and ideals. Are the tools used to form and shape how we think, how we feel, how we interpret the world we live in, how we understand good and evil, how we judge individual human beings and whole groups of human beings. Ideological tools are far more powerful and far more influential than physical tools. A hammer will help build a house, but an idea will help shape the whole course of a society. Ideas do matter. And ideas have consequences that can either lead to great good or great evil. There are some ideologies that are so corrupt, so flawed, so bent in the wrong direction that they can be put to no good purpose. These ideas are so corrupt that even the attempt to use them for righteous and good purposes will taint and poison both the attempt and its outcome, and sadly, even the noble heart seeking to use them for good. Some ideas are inherently evil and have no redeeming quality. Think of the one ring created by the dark lord Sauron in J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings trilogy. Most of you are probably familiar with this. This ring was created by a very powerful, a very evil being who created it as a means to amplify and focus his power so that he could destroy his enemies and dominate everyone and everything else. It was an evil device created with only evil purposes in view. The ring truly belonged to Sauron, for the evil in the ring itself was matched only by the evil in Sauron himself. If any other quote-unquote lesser being were to wear the ring, it would indeed give him great power over others. But it would inevitably begin to corrupt that individual. Inevitably so. No matter how true of heart he may be. And eventually this ring-bearer, would be overcome and overthrown by the ring's evil. In a great war, the ring was cut from Sauron's finger, and through many events over thousands of years, it finds itself in the possession of a hobbit named Frodo Baggins. And he had no idea at the time what the ring was or where it came from. Frodo's friend, the great wizard Gandalf, had discerned the nature and source of the ring, and he understood quite well the inevitable corruption that would be experienced by anyone who tried to use it. And when Frodo learned the truth about the ring, he wanted to give it to Gandalf, um, and Gandalf rightly and passionately refused the offer. His response to to Frodo's question or Frodo's offer is quite insightful and informative. Frodo said to Gandalf, you're wise and powerful, you know, will you not take the ring? And Gandalf said this, no, he cried, springing to his feet. With that power, I should have power too great and terrible. And over me the ring would gain a power still greater and more deadly. His eyes flashed and his face was lit as by a fire within. Do not tempt me. I do not wish to become like the Dark Lord himself. Yet the way of the ring to my heart is by pity pity for weakness and the desire of strength to do good. Do not tempt me. I dare not take it even to keep it safe and unused. And so Gandalf and Tolkien, through him, is giving us a deeply profound piece of wisdom. Namely, that there are some things, ideas, perspectives, interpretations, analytical tools that are in and of themselves corrupt and unredeemable. In such cases, our motivations and goals don't matter. Gandalf would seek to use the ring only for good, but he would himself slowly be corrupted by it. And even the good that he did would not be wholly good. It would reflect the evil taint of the ring. Maybe only a little at first, maybe unnoticeable at first, but over time, this good-hearted wizard, his own character and desires would become bent. And the good wizard we once knew would be gone. And even the noble Frodo Baggins himself in the end could not finally bring himself to resist the ring and destroy it. He claimed it for himself, and it was only through an unexpected twist of providence that he actually succeeded in destroying the ring. This ring was to be refused, resisted, and opposed at every point, never to be used. In short, it was a tool so shaped by evil and so filled with evil that it could be put to no good use regardless of the good intentions of the one wearing it. And the world of conservative evangelicalism and especially the Southern Baptist Convention desperately needs the wisdom and the strength of Gandalf here. We need it because certain corrupt unbiblical and anti-christian ideologies or ideological tools are being used <clears throat> excuse me used by professing christians to analyze and make judgments about what is sinful and wrong in society and in the church critical theory critical race theory intersectionality these ideologies may seem unfamiliar to you at this point But they need to be familiar. And maybe we aren't as unfamiliar with them as we might think. Listen to some of these terms and phrases and see if they sound familiar to you white privilege, white guilt, white fragility, whiteness, whiteness studies, white women's tears, white splaining, white silence unconscious, unconscious bias, systemic racism, social justice, research justice, microaggressions, microassaults, microinsults, internalized oppression, internalized racism, interest convergence, hegemony, hate speech, decolonization, becoming woke. Let's move out beyond racially focused issues. Heteronormativity. Gender fluid, gender identity, homophobia, eco-feminism, climate justice, binary privilege, male privilege, Queer theory, speciesism. That's a thing. Speciesism. Tolerance, transgenderism. All of these are phrases, all these phrases are expressions of particular ideologies that are influencing and shaping not only American culture, but now the church. Not just the church in general, but the church and how it thinks, how it processes, how it plans, how it interprets the world. And this is a bad thing. This is a very, very bad thing. Critical theory, critical race theory, intersectionality all stem from a common root which I'll mention in a moment, but let's first consider some definitions. Actually, it's going to blend together a little bit. Critical theory is a modified form of traditional Marxism, which was economic in its focus. At root, Marxism interpreted the world through the categories of the oppressor and the oppressed. Marx hated Western society, he hated religion, and he especially hated Christianity. He saw religion as a drug used to pacify the masses of economically oppressed people from ever, notice the term here, rising up and overthrowing their economic oppressors. If Marx were to realize his dream for society, both religion in general and Christianity in particular would be shown to be both irrelevant and unnecessary. Marx hated the traditional family, referring to a father and a mother together in a home having children, Marx hated individual liberty. He hated freedom of conscience. He hated a world in which some people would have more than others. He hated a world in which people had any differences, whether natural, cultural, religious, familial, and so on. And what critical theory did is it took Marx's categories of oppressed and oppressor and applied them to a whole lot of areas outside of economics. Critical theory sought to apply the basic principles of Marxism to the cultural institutions and demographics in the United States and in other Western societies. What it does, it views critical theory, views everything in terms of power dynamics. Who has power and who doesn't? If you have power, you are the oppressor. If you don't have power, you are the oppressed. Anything that gives anyone a leg up is a tool of oppression and must be undermined and overthrown. Some examples. Male headship in the home. The authority of parents over their children. Those who are older. Differences between men and rem- women. The very definition of male and female. If you make more money than someone else. If, you're bi- if you have a bigger house than someone else. If you have a better education than someone else. If you have white skin white for your skin color, being heterosexual or cisgendered, as they say. But it goes even further than that. If you believe in absolute truth, if you believe in objective reality, an objective fact, if you believe in individual liberty, the rule of law, the blindness of justice, equality of opportunity, historic Christianity, logic, reason or rationality, Even mathematics. And it's going even further than that as to critiquing even classical music itself and Beethoven as a tool for white oppression of people of color. If you believe in and live by any of these things that I've just mentioned, you are participating in the oppression of others, according to critical theory. Your intentions have nothing to do with anything. These systems are inherently oppressive and must be undermined and overthrown according to critical theory. Critical race theory is a very specific application of critical theory to the issue of race, which it does rightly see as a social construct. Christians wouldn't disagree with that. Race is a, something that is not biblical. It's not um, different races, I should say. There's one human race, but the concept of different races, Christians acknowledge that's a made-up thing that's about all critical race theory gets right. Critical race theory, or CRT, views all of life and society through the lens of race. It's like a set of glasses that it puts on, and it can't see anything outside those glasses. And it sees race as a tool of oppression at nearly every level of society. Economics, politics, history as we know it, religion, Christianity, education, entertainment, and more. CRT, and I'm quoting from New Discourses, it's a website very helpful on these issues, says CRT sees race as the predominant social or the predominant structural element of American and other societies, and that all analyses of race must include systemic power, which is to say, systemic racism. This, it, this, it insists, is everywhere, ordinary, permanent, and mostly and badly hidden a kind of racism that is just beneath the surface. One duty of the critical race theorist is to expose this hidden racism wherever it can be found. So historically racism was, I think, rightly defined as prejudice or animosity against another human being on the basis of his or her skin color. That's the correct definition of racism. But it's no longer defined that way. Now it's defined as prejudice employed in the systemic oppression of people of color. You can be a racist even if you personally harbor no ill will or animosity towards someone of a different skin color than you. You are racist because you live in and you live by a system created that is itself inherently racist and created by white supremacy. Critical race theory even goes so far as to question the metaphors of light and darkness as even these are tools of oppression that are legitimately up for canceling. So critical theory, critical race theory, these ideologies are worldviews that use specifically crafted tools to effect change. In this case, the tool cannot be separated from the worldview, these tools of analysis. These tools are organic extensions of the worldview, much the same way you're hand in your arm or an extension of your body. These worldviews and these tools are to be utterly rejected by Christians who are submitted to the clear teaching and authority of Scripture. We dare not use these tools even with the motivation to do good. Critical theory and critical race theory are opposed to biblical Christianity in their foundational elements and in how they are worked out. They are contrary to the gospel Of Jesus Christ. As Christians, as followers of Christ, we are to think about the world that we live in. We are to interpret the world that we live in by what God has clearly said in His Word. God is the true authority on the world and on people and on sin and on the effects of sin. If we want our thoughts to be godly thoughts, we must think in terms of what God says in His Word. If our thoughts are shaped by ideologies, that are by design opposed to God and His order in creation, opposed to everything He has set up, then our thoughts, whatever our intentions, are going to be godless and opposed to God. Let's think in the opposites of some of these based on what Scripture says. God is light. He dwells in unapproachable light. In God there is no darkness at all. These are good, right, and biblical categories for understanding God. God gave us these categories to understand Himself. To assault these categories is to assault God. There's nothing racist about them. God created us male and female, God made men to be the heads of their homes, God created hierarchies of authority and submission, God gave parents authority over their children, God made us with different abilities and talents. Our rule of law in the United States is largely based on God's law as it's revealed in Scripture. So to hate the rule of law as expressed in our country is an indirect, sometimes direct attack on God's law itself. There is absolute truth. There is objective reality and there are objective facts. Outside of us, they are what they are regardless of what we think, regardless of how we feel. They are true. God created a world in which people who work hard can earn their living and in which some will acquire greater wealth than others. And nowhere in Scripture does He condemn such people as sinful or oppressive. He does warn the rich not to find their hope in their riches, but He never condemns them for having more. God abhors racism and ill treatment of any kind of another human being who is made in God's image. So speaking out against critical race theory is not saying we're, a, we're somehow in favor of racism. Racism is evil. It is absolutely evil, and we should oppose it with every fiber of our being. But the lens of critical race theory, which sees racism in everything, is incompatible with Scripture. Scripture's original sin is Adam's transgression against God's law, not whiteness or racism. Racism is an insidious form of partiality, which the Bible does address, But it is not what critical scholars say it is. Biblical justice is rendering to a person what he is due. Justice, according to critical theory and critical race theory, is something altogether different. For critical race theory, justice is the flattening of all differences, the removal of any and all advantages, and the destruction of all desire to succeed and attempt great things in the world. Because you might get ahead of someone else, and that's oppressive if you do. It is the destruction of all hierarchies. And anything perceived as privileging one person over another, it destroys authority in the home and in the church. And I could go on. There's so much more to say. Like we're scratching the surface of this. But time is limited, and I hope the little bit we've looked at will prove beneficial. This is what we're up against. And that's what this documentary we're going to watch is addressing in the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, And we're doing this. we're, We're not... Playing the boy who cried wolf. I think a better metaphor would be a watchman on the wall ringing the bell and blowing the horn that the enemy is upon us. And we need to wake up. We need to grab our sword and our shield, and we need to be ready to do battle. And I'm not talking about physical battle, I'm talking about spiritual weapons. We need to take up, as Paul said, the whole armor of God that we will be able to stand in the evil day. And let's make no mistake, our day is evil and it wants to take the church with it. We cannot let this happen, and we must not let it happen. I'm going to close reading 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. He says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God— and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Let's pray. God, um, Lord, there's so much more I could say, but I trust that what I've said is what we need to hear and consider. Um, Lord, give us hearts that love your word and your truth and the worldview that comes out of your word. Help us think and Uh, interpret the world we live in and people in light of what you say in your word. Lord, help us from our hearts refuse any perspectives or methods of thinking or interpreting that are by nature opposed to you, because then we'll be thinking in ways that are opposed to you. God, be our help and our strength. Help us as a church. Help us as individuals to not be taken captive by these false ways of thinking.